0: I'm Pastor Brian Paulson, and this is The Message. Thank you for listening here in Libertyville, in Lake County, or all around the world. Center your heart now with the prayer for illumination, listen deeply to Holy Scripture, and get ready for God to deliver a word to you through the message by our associate pastor, the Reverend Amy Heinrich won't you join your hearts together with mine in prayer let us pray oh god there are so many competing words in our lives words on screens words in our ears that we are often distracted, center us now by the power of your Holy Spirit, dispel whatever shadows remain from the journeys that we've taken this week and bring light to our lives, chase away clouds of gloom, illumine us by the gift of Holy Scripture, amen. The accompanying text to the one on which Amy will be preaching today is Psalm number 24, which is a psalm that reflects upon the experience of worship. And it has a repeated line. Who is the king of glory? Melech HaKavod, Yahweh, is the Lord is the King of hosts. Not a king of a nation, but the king whose word creates the gift given to the people of Israel when they fled from Egypt and understood that God is in their midst by the word spoken. Let us hear God's holy word. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, too. Because God, Yahweh, is the one who established it on the seas. God set it firmly on the waters. Who can ascend to the Lord's mountain? And who can stand in his holy sanctuary? Only one with clean hands and a pure heart, one who hasn't made false promises the one who hasn't sworn dishonestly. That kind of person receives blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God who saves. And that's how things are with the generation that seeks him, that seeks the face of Jacob's God. Mighty gates, lift up your heads. Ancient doors, rise up high so the glorious king can enter. Who is this glorious king? The Lord, strong and powerful. Yahweh, the Lord, powerful in battle. Mighty gates, lift up your heads. Ancient doors, rise up high, so the glorious king can enter. Who is this glorious king? The Lord of heavenly forces. He is the glorious king. This is the end of our reading from the Psalter today. May we in our own lives honor the true king of glory who reigns over all.
1: Our second reading this morning from Holy Scripture is taken from the first chapter of the book of Exodus, beginning at the eighth verse. Listen once again for God's holy word. Now a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He said to his people, the Israelite people are now larger in number and stronger than we. Come on, let's be smart and deal with them. Otherwise, they will only grow in number. And if war breaks out, They will join our enemies and fight against us and then escape from the land. As a result, the Egyptian put four men of forced work gangs over the Israelites to harass them with hard work. They had to build storage cities in Pithom and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread, so much so that the Egyptians started to look at the Israelites with disgust and dread. So the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They made their lives miserable with hard labor, making mortar and bricks, doing field work, and by forcing them to do all kinds of other cruel work the king of Egypt spoke to two Hebrew midwives named Shipra and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women give birth and you see the baby being born, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, you can let her live. Now, the two midwives respected God So they didn't obey the Egyptian king's order. Instead, they let the baby boys live. So the king of Egypt called the two midwives and said to them, why are you doing this? Why are you letting the baby boys live? The two midwives said to Pharaoh, because Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They are much stronger and give birth before any midwives can get to them. (laughs) So God treated the midwives well, and the people kept on multiplying and became very strong. And because the midwives respected God, God gave them households Of their own friends this is the word of the Lord midwifery is sacred work because it parallels God's work to help deliver life my husband Rob and I chose nurse midwives for my first pregnancy and I was in awe of them if I wasn't a minister I'd want to be a midwife They had noticeable compassion for me. They were so attentive to my health and well-being, and they had reverence for the life within me. They were courageous in advocating for the woman's or the mother's rights in a hospital system often more concerned with the convenience of the doctor, big pharmaceutical companies, and the economic bottom line. These midwives were strong women, concerned with the individual mother and the baby's health, and concerned with the equity and justice of the medical system. We see this compassionate and courageous character in the Hebrew midwives in our riveting story from Exodus let's set the stage in the midst of god's life-affirming creative activity comes a nefarious scheme to thwart god's plan a sign of blessing for israel is a sign of disaster for the pharaoh the new king of egypt tries to undo God's life-giving work with a death-dealing public policy of ethnic cleansing. Biblical scholar Terence Fretham describes the magnitude of Pharaoh's evil mandate this way. This is no minor subversion, having only local effects. It is a threat to undo God's very creation. It is the fall and its aftermath revisited. The culprit this time is a new king over Egypt. The fact that he is nameless puts the emphasis not simply on him as a historical character, but as a symbol of anti-creation forces of death and domination at odds with the God of life and liberation. This is a life and death battle in which the future of God's own people and the creation itself is at stake. The sole description of the Pharaoh is that he does not know Joseph which symbolizes something far greater than the individual. Joseph is the one in and through whom God preserved God's people. The description is in stark contrast with the description of our God who knows the people and their circumstances. Knowing suggests an intimate relationship with a commitment and concern for their safety and well-being. The king of Egypt does not know. God knows, and the midwives know. Not knowing leads to oppression and death, and knowing leads to deliverance and life. Pharaoh's actions are motivated by fear, fear of the growing number of Hebrews fear of losing power and fear of losing control over the Empire he wastes no time in implementing a dehumanizing and oppressive policy slave gang masters are charged to afflict Israel with heavy burdens the profound existential question emerges whom will israel serve god or empire the midwives have chosen to serve god and they will not be complicit with the injustice of the empire yet at this point in the story israel is forced into serving the pharaoh and to be in his service means they must endure cruelty harsh burdens, even bondage. There is no freedom to be whom God created them to be. Only in service to God can service be without bondage. We think of Jesus' words, Come to me, all you who are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, with God service is freedom yet this is not a freedom to do whatever we want to do the Exodus story is not a declaration of independence but a declaration of dependence upon our God service to God isn't coercive but invites a new creation a covenantal community Only God can be the Lord of one's life. We cannot serve two masters. Whom do you serve, God or empire? Only our God can bless us with true freedom bound by faithful commitment. In this story, our God is not an impartial bystander. Our God takes sides. And our God stands with the oppressed. God sees the people's perilous situation and enters the scenes to deliver them with the ultimate deliverers of life, Hebrew midwives. Once again, just as in the story of Miriam rescuing Moses that immediately follows this story, this narrative is full of irony. Two Hebrew midwives outsmarting the king of Egypt? Confronted by Pharaoh, Shipra and Pua deceive him by playing on his own racism. Their preposterous excuse that the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, but they are too vigorous, almost like wild animals, seems quite plausible to the Pharaoh. Their sly answer reflects the cunning on which subjugated people must often rely as they navigate the treacherous ways in an oppressive system. The Egyptians fear of the Israelites lead to their failure, whereas the women's fear or trust in God leads to their success. The midwives' fear of God entails the understanding that human life is sacred. The preservation of the lives of these babies must take priority over the murderous edict given by a very powerful man, even at the risk of their own lives. Shipra and Pua's fear of God morally emboldened them to resist. Now, we might ask ourselves how these remarkable women found a way to listen to God amidst such frightening and intimidating circumstances. I would like to suggest that they saw the turbulent waters on the surface of their culture, but they knew how to swim down to the deep, calm waters of grace and listen for god's voice like a sonar helping them navigate ironies continue as the pharaoh doesn't perceive that by killing all the males he would in time deplete his own slave labor force also he doesn't recognize that this policy will inevitably come back to haunt him Egyptian sons, including his own, will be killed as an outcome of these policies. Moreover, his decision to kill sons and save daughters is undermined by those who are saved. The daughters subvert his policy. The women, in saving the sons from death, anticipate the Passover their activity and civil disobedience parallels the saving actions of God. God calls and works through these remarkable yet most unlikely candidates, Hebrew midwives of all people in a patriarchal and occupying culture. They truly make a significant difference, not only to Israel, but to God. They create possibilities for God's way into the future with God's people that might not have even been otherwise. Shipra and Pua were clear about whom they served. It was God, the creator of life, and not the Pharaoh with his empire of death. The Hebrew midwives' wisdom courage, vision, and faithful resistance to the power of domination is a wonderful role model for us, inviting us to engage in our own holy midwifery, if you will. Just recently, Brian and I attended the Parliament of the World Religions, One of the workshops I attended was for women of faith to ponder the critical congruence between our inner spiritual lives and our outer lives, modeling a different kind of peace-building, compassionate power in the world. One of the speakers in the panel challenged us to wrestle with the true nature of power. She suggested that the masculine principle of power, like the king who came to power in Egypt, is domination or power over so as to control. In contrast, the female principle of power, as in the Hebrew midwives, is power under or alongside so as to empower the other, creating vulnerable and trusting partnerships. Now, we all have both the masculine and the feminine capacities within us. Men can be feminists and committed to more nurturing, relational, equitable models of power. And women can be seduced into a top-down, authoritarian model of power. The recent movie Barbie made just this poignant social critique on the potential abuses both of patriarchy and matriarchy. I would contend that Jesus defied the patriarchy of his time and engaged in holy midwifery as his pedagogy. He stood under, not over, humbly kneeling to wash dirty feet, calling his his followers friends, not servants. Black liberation theologian James Cone says, Jesus's cross was God's critique of domination power and with powerless love snatching victory out of defeat. I'd like to think about midwifery as a metaphor of power to stand under so as to understand the other. A metaphor of compassionate service that births God's Given possibilities. We all have the spiritual consciousness and agency, regardless of gender or profession, to facilitate the birthing of hope, new life, and God's dreams for a better world. The word education comes from the Latin root educare, to draw out. Education is a sort of midwifery. Anyone who is a teacher, mentor, coach, pastor, therapist, parent, is at best drawing out good questions, drawing out another's gifts, potential authenticity. We are all called to holy midwifery. The apostle Paul has described the creation as groaning in labor pains. As we faithfully attune our hearts to the groans of our world with their pregnant possibilities, we can midwife life. I have been deeply moved by the inspirational marine biologists who are midwifing life from the oceans as they attempt to rescue and restore the coral reef that is bleaching and dying from overheated waters. One man, Enrique Sala, marine ecologist and ocean advocate, literally said in a recent Times article, My Pristine Seas Project have helped to midwife a total of 26 marine protected areas with a goal of 30% of the ocean in marine protected areas by 2030 he said and i quote i don't see a bigger purpose than working to save life on earth that's holy midwifery now my friend jenny bianco is literally a doula a greek word for with women which is the closest thing we have today to a biblical midwife I've invited her to join me here now as a conversation about what we can learn spiritually about midwifery. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me. I want to ask you um, about your process to decide to become a doula. How did you discern that this is what you were called to do?
2: I had to turn that on. I wanted to make sure that this was on. Um, I was a little nervous to come today, um, but I just asked God to give me the words to speak. Um, my discernment in becoming a doula, I, I had thought about becoming a doula for the past four or five years. And, um, I wasn't sure because I'm a mom of young kids, and I felt like, (laughs) can I actually do this? Like, people go into labor, women go into labor, like in the middle of the night. Is this even possible? Um, And I prayed a lot. I prayed, and I heard God tell me. Jenny, read Exodus one with your husband. It's the story <laughs> it's, of today. Yes, it's amazing. And when you when you when you called me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing because this is this was the turning point for me. Um, so we opened the Bible and we read Exodus one. It's not like I read Exodus every single day, <laughs> right? And um, and that. Really, you know, that was the sign that I needed and then I stepped into that space because I had the opportunity to take a um, doula certification course um, through that that's led by my uh, late midwife of SJ and JT and um, It was it, it's it's been amazing. I've served uh, about ten families so far and um, and it's an act of sacrificial
1: love yes. where you have to set aside your, uh, your own agenda, yes. and you're on call, and yeah. you might get called yeah. at two in the morning. <laughs> how, how do you prepare? What do you do before you go to attend to a, a woman who's in labor? How do you,
2: what's your preparation process? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, if I had anything that happened in the day where I'm not right with my husband or with my kids, um, I I apologize. I <laughs> make it right. Because before stepping into that space, when I'm meeting with a family or meeting with a, a, a woman in labor, I can't come in with that frantic energy. So I pray about it. I, I set it right. I, I say, I'm sorry, David, or whatever it is. <laughs> and then, um, And then I pray, I pray on my way, and I ask God to uh, prepare me for that space, because you never know, you know, in the hospital or at home, if it's a home birth or if it's a birth center, you never know where that mom is in the midst of her labor. I
1: just love the congruity between your inner life and your service to the woman. You're getting rid of your baggage, you're decluttering so that you can be an open vessel that the Holy Spirit works through. Exactly. And and that is
2: just so beautiful. Well, what do you actually do as a doula? I do many things. Um, I walk alongside the families, I help them um, I, I support them emotionally, physically, mentally. Um, I'm there as a friend. I help, um, I help provide resources, childbirth education, so that the families and the mothers can feel, uh, empowered to make their own informed decisions during their labor. Because as much as we want to prepare and plan for birth, <laughs> it, it... it it's all, it's all in God's hands, really, right? And so it, helping them feel empowered to make choices with the labor that they're given is um, empowering for me. And it's, um, it's wonderful being in that space um, of service for and these what families. what insights
1: might you share with our congregation that might be relevant for all of us to
2: be spiritual birth workers, if you will? Yes. Um, Shifra and Pua, they, they, did not, they did not fear the pharaoh. They were not afraid. They, they weren't. They, they feared God more, and they respected God, and they loved God, and they listened. They listened to God, and, they, and through that, they were able to serve these women and, and help bring life forth, and I feel like all of us we all have that opportunity jenny we thank all have you that opportunity so
1: much what you're doing is a powerful ministry in the best sense of the word you are exactly the kind of person i would want as a doula <laughs> oh my gosh friends are we listening like jenny to hear god's call to humble service are we midwifing god's dreams for the world Are we tuning out the false kings to truly hear the king of peace, the lord of our lives? How are we finding our power from our secular society, our ego agendas, or from the sonar of our souls? How are we using our power to elevate ourselves over others out of fear or to stand under and empower others out of faith. Holy midwifery understands that the means and the ends, just like Jenny was talking about, must be consistent. We cannot bring peace into our world if we are in pieces. Our greatest spiritual power comes from integrity, the integration of our inner and our outer lives. Reverend Cynthia Bergeu says it so well. If we really wish to change the world, to become a sign of hope in the brokenness, all we really need to do, and it is one simple thing, but it is everything, is to narrow the gap between the gospel we profess and the gospel we live out, moment to moment in the quality of our aliveness. If we, as living members of the body of Christ, can surrender and swim down into those deeper waters toward the wellsprings of hope and listen for that sonar with all we are worth, it will again guide us, both individually and corporately, to the future for which we are intended. Friends, let us hear the cries of labor in our creation and in our neighbors near and far. Let us hear the call of God to attend to the suffering and see the promising and pregnant possibilities all around us that we may help birth God's new world. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening on our podcast or through our YouTube playlist of sermons. Be sure to forward this message to someone who you believe is seeking God's Word today.